Welcome everyone to another wonderful episode of the Genuine Men's Chat Zoom Live Calls. Today's call is a really special one, a near and dear one to my heart, and we've got a really special guest. But before we go there, let me just remind you that the Genuine Men uh, program is a movement, not just a program, that consists of a show, a podcast, workshops, and monthly Zoom lives now that express the often unheard honest views of men from various backgrounds, cultures, religions, faiths, and life experiences. It's also a rare opportunity for men to have a platform to express their views, thoughts, perspectives, and obstacles in life with other men on topics that impact them and their families and their communities and society as a whole. It's an unfiltered and unadulterated way to look at life from a man's perspective. Hi, I'm Reham. I'm the host and Genuine Men's Chat uh, coach. And this is our 19th episode of our Genuine Men's Chat Zoom Live. And the topic today is fatherhood, live from the heart without reservations. I'm super excited to have our guest speaker on today. And before I jump into that, I just want to reaffirm our goals with, you know, having these monthly Zoom lives. Our goal is to create a safe and interactive and engaging space for men to learn how to redefine their purpose and redesign the way that they fulfill their purpose in their relationships, in their careers, and in their lives. And with that, a model of that would be our wonderful guest speaker today, Michael Ray from sunny Victoria, Australia. Welcome, Michael. Hi, Ryan. Hey, lovely to have you today. Thanks for the opportunity. Nice to be had. Absolutely. Um, you guys are going to have a wonderful time learning more about Michael. Uh, and let me introduce you to him a bit. Um, so becoming a dad at the tender age of 49 was a shock in itself. Then two years later, Michael experienced an even bigger shock. He found himself the sole parent of his beautiful baby girl, Charlie. While on his quest to fill their days with amazing and the wonderful and the informative and the fun, Michael noted how difficult current norms made the role of dads as primary caregivers. From having no change tables in the bathrooms, um, in the men's bathrooms, being barred from going backstage at his daughter's ballet concert, and being asked questions about his ability to cope with rising, uh, raising sorry, a child, there were just a few of many of the struggles that solo dads experience. Um, and Michael will be talking about many of them as well. Michael speaks about his insight from his personal journey raising his daughter and the profound impact being a solo dad has had on his outlook. He conveys his important message to both individuals and organizations, brimming with concrete, actionable research and guidance with a passion that inspires. He also has a breath of dad jokes. We can't wait to hear some of those today. Additionally, Michael addresses the gender and social roles that are no longer applicable and the negative impact on organizational business and personal outcomes. He speaks straight from the heart and his ability to connect, resonate um, and inspire people in undeniable ways will be seen today as continues to be seen um, in all of his work. He's been a guest on numerous TV and radio shows and is a regular commentator on news outlets. Moreover, he has been featured in a number of local and international publications and podcasts. Michael has been known to say when society regularly talks about fatherhood in the same glowing terms as motherhood, inertia will be broken. 
When men are recognized and admired for their ability and capability to nurture and raise the next generation, not just through their income, position, and power, a paradigm will finally shift. When men are held equally responsible for raising the next generation, women will achieve true equality and equity in society and in the workplace. It's time to move from outdated gender and social roles that are limiting all of us. We, our parents, and especially our children, deserve so much more. It's a pleasure to have you today, Michael. Thanks, Ryan. It sounds all very flash, doesn't it? <laughs> it does, but I'm sure there's a lot of meat behind that. So I'm really eager to have you on board to talk about some of you know, the principles that you've come to know, fatherhood, the ideas of gender, equality and equity, uh, social norms, and, and also some of the struggles that you've experienced. So what I'm going to do just quickly is I'm going to do gallery view so we can both see each other um, together here. And really, you know, explore these topics in a way that allows our participants and our viewers to really enjoy the journey that you've experienced and, and learn from the learnings so that if they're going through something similar themselves, they can actually know that there is hope which I know is a fundamental component of your message that there's always hope and no man's an island. So with that start, with that said, let's get started. Um, so one of the things that really resonated for me when you were speaking, being a solo mom myself, was um, current parenting norms that didn't really make dads as primary caregivers uh, welcome and even created more challenges. Why don't you talk to us a little bit more about that? Um. Like I always say, Reham, I'd love to say that I was some uh, woke new age switched on individual right from the start. But I I grew up in a typical heteronormative family where dad was the breadwinner, mum ran the home. Um, you know, dad was um, seen as a disciplinarian, but mum was actually the one who was the disciplinarian and dad would tend to undermine her with a bit, you know, come here, don't tell your mum and sort of thing but um, it, it all came glaringly obvious um, once I was a solo dad to my daughter and a lot of the things that were said to me many of them in well-meaning um, ways that just suddenly started to become gee you know that's borderline patronizing I, I understand you're trying to help but I'm, I'm not uh, completely clueless and in, incapable and then I noticed a lot of the things that um, would normally be associated with um, what should be parenting were based on mum. So reading storybooks to my daughter, um, trying to find a, a book where the father was anything apart from a disciplinarian or a bad guy or coming to rescue sort of thing uh, was really hard so I had to edit on the fly you know replacing you know mum with dad or mother with father and it sort of ruins a lot of the Dr Zeus books because I'm not that great at the at the rhyming as we go um, the fact that I was banned from going backstage at my daughter's four-year-old ballet concert was where it really started and it, it made me realize that um, because mums are held responsible for the majority of parenting 
that it's holding them them back. But what happens is fathers are seen as the second best option. So for, for a mum to go away, because we've all heard that only a mother's love, maternal instinct, mother knows best, all of the fetishised depictions of motherhood, yet, you know, there's not really that for dads. Dads were still depicted as a bumbling sort of man-child that um, was a little bit of a fool. And they actually do great damage. And while, you know, everyone's, oh, relax, just have a laugh about it. And I, so I say no, because it, it puts more pressure onto women. That it does. It absolutely does. And, and society is a balance without the men being able to step up and to be active participants, then the women carry a really heavy burden because it's not just their burden, it's also the role of the father. And the reverse is absolutely true where the women might not be showing up for whatever reason. And then the father carries the burden of being both mom and dad. And, and because there's that in uh, disequilibrium uh, or imbalance in society right now with the increased number of divorces, with the you know parallel and co-parenting options or no parenting options, the children get lost in the shuffle. And what happens is, you know, roles, traditional roles are re-examined, which I'm really excited about, because then it opens the discussion for each family to define it for themselves. But it also opens the discussion for what is it that I'm looking for and that I'm needing to provide for my child? And what is it that my child needs and wants? And what could I do to facilitate that extra component so that they feel whole? You know, just like I know you and I have spoken about this before, it's, it's difficult to raise a boy without a strong male figure. And it's difficult to raise a girl without a strong female figure for them to identify with. How have you um, managed? Um, in the beginning, I was really um, concerned about Charlie not having a significant female role model in, in her life, um, mainly because just to fit in. So I'll notice we'd go out and other little girls would have their hair braided and they'd have little handbags and all of those things. And I, I thought, you know what, it's stereotypical and it's not something I should worry about. And the only thing that I can control and work on is my connection with my daughter. And that's the underlying thing on, on my parenting principle is just connection, connection, connection because it doesn't matter what happens unless we're securely connected, I'm never going to be able to lead her or guide her or have her confidence. Um, and I think as a father, we can have that connection with our daughters. And a lot of the times with the stereotypes that go on, you know, I've had my mum say to me, oh, you're going to turn her into a little tomboy. And it's, you know, and that's why I would say to mum, yeah, but what is a tomboy? And she, oh, she's, Butch and she likes rough stuff. I'm going, yeah, but that's who she is. That's her personality. It's it's not a gender specific thing. And then when you read about all of the uh, benefits for childhood anxiety and all the rest of it that come with rough and tumble and risk taking and all the rest of it and the self confidence and her sense of self comes because that's why I say to people, frighteningly, she wants to be just like me. But that doesn't mean that she wants to go boxing and all the rest of it, which she does, but it's how she responds to life. 
and yeah. its challenges is, is going to be um, determined by me. And a lot of dads, I think what creates a lot of conflict in co-parenting is because mums assume that they have this innate maternal instinct and dads don't. Dads sort of believe it. So they downplay and diminish their own um, approach and their own benefits to it. So when mum says, don't do this, do it this way, do it that way, or don't do that, it's not good, dads go along with it. And um, we have so much to offer our children that, that's beneficial. But it also, when the one thing I get told all the time is, great, you're breaking stereotypes and male stigmas. And that's what I said, you know, if your behaviour is based on what's popular, typical or expected and not on what's needed by your family, what's ethical and what's authentic, it's not a problem with your masculinity. It's a problem with your character. Exactly. And to me, stereotypes and stigmas, they're like a stain on the back of your pants. Unless somebody points it out to you, you can be oblivious to it and not influenced. And that's why I say to guys, find your own path. Don't worry about anything. Just listen to your heart. Yeah. What a powerful message that is um, to listen to your heart and follow your own path. Because many boys and girls in school want to be themselves, want to be genuine, want to be authentic. But because of peer pressure, they succumb. And then they learn that pattern of succumbing or defense mechanisms or coping mechanisms to succumb, to, in other words, dim their light that is, shines so bright when they're young. Then they become these adults with these dim lights and they're just succumbing to worlds, you know, their worlds, um, the, the world's circumstances around them, like the external circumstances around them. Um, and, and oftentimes a catalyst has to happen, an external catalyst to guide them, to open up their, their, their eyes to exactly what you were saying, the stain on the back of their pants. How has that opened up your eyes? How, how, how were you awoken um, to the stain on the back of your pants? <laughs> I mainly have uh, other people pointed out and I'm, often bemused that I find myself in a position I am, Rianne, where people come to me for this and point out, oh, you're wonderful, it's great what you're doing, and it's just, you know what, it's just what I'm doing, it's what, what I feel my daughter needs, and while I don't know what she needs or who she is yet, it's up to her to discover it, and it's for me, basically, to get out of the way, because you, I... Sometimes I see children being held to a standard that they're not developmentally ready to be able to, like sharing when they're two years old and being told that, you know, having judgment passed on some stuff that, you know, they just shouldn't be like expecting children to be able to time manage and before they're ready and all the rest of it. And once you become controlling or coercive with your children, once they start trying to find a way to get a good reaction from you, they've lost themselves. So it, it's the one thing I say to my daughter all the time, but how you feel is how you feel. Every single emotion, every single disappointment, upset, happiness, whatever it is, all of that is valid and it's real and you've got every right to feel it. But I won't 
allow every behavior the same level of thing. So it's how you respond. So it's okay to say, Dad, I'm disappointed. Dad, I'm upset. But it's not okay to behave in a way yeah. that's that's not right. And so, you know, so, but your behavior at the moment, it, it's not fun to be around what's going on. Oh, I feel like it's great. But that's fair. That's valid if that's how you feel. But the behavior, we can't have that because we've all got to get along. So speak up, let me know, and we'll see if we can do it. But there's nothing wrong with being sad or upset. And I think a lot of the times as parents, we want to keep our kids constantly happy. And when they're upset, we want, oh, you know, don't be upset, don't be. And we try and distract them from from their unhappiness or their disappointment. And it's just lifetime is going to be full of unhappiness and disappointment. And it, it's a normal part of it, but that's life and it's to be celebrated, not, not tried to be swept under the rug, in my opinion. I'm so glad you said that, Michael, because that's a pivotal point, especially for young boys as well that are taught out of expressing their emotions. And sometimes girls are too, you know, just, you know, suck it up, you know, don't deal with it because girls can be vicious with girls and boys can be vicious and brutal with boys. Um, what an important lesson of a life lesson you're giving her to feel like the home is a training ground for her to express herself openly without, you know, without masks, without caveats, without feeling guilt or shame. And, and to allow her to then process that gives her the tools and the skill sets to be able to then, as an adult, be comfortable with herself and the emotions, the good ones, as in like the positive ones and the not so positive ones, um, because they're not necessarily polar. They're just a spectrum of emotions. What we do with them is what's important. And so you're basically giving her the tools to say, these are your emotions. What are you going to do with them? And that's beautiful to see. Could you share any more examples for the dads that are watching or for our listeners that are going to be dads, how they can start that process with their children, be them boys or girls? I, I, a little while ago, I had a real um, epiphany suddenly. And um, it was, Charlie was struggling with something we were doing and I was showing her to do it. And um, she said, dad, I wish I was good at everything like you are. And it made me realise, you know, Charlie hasn't been privy to the years of muck-ups and mistakes and, you know, silly things that I've done. And she just sees the final product. And as a dad, it's quite intoxicating and really good to be, you know, somebody's superhero and, you know, just that hero worship is really good. But um, I'm just in the middle of writing a, a chapter in a book and it's gone, you know, I want my daughter to see me as a failure. And I wanted to see it because she's going to fail more times than she's going to succeed. And I wanted to concentrate and be able to handle failure as good as success. So um, I think that's one of the things that we as dads uh, do. We, we swoop in a bit too early and we don't let our kids struggle and we want to fix things. I think it, it's a um, thing for for men in, in general, we want to be able to give advice and, you know, you, you should do this and, you know, you know, 
this this would fix that and we want to be seen as experts whether it's fixing the car or you know renovating the house we um we want that we we collect expertise and we've got to let our kids figure stuff out because i'm you know 50 years older than my daughter she's going to spend the vast majority of her life without me and she won't learn to make good decisions by following orders or instructions so you know i I always try and answer her questions with a question when she'll say, Dad, you know, how do I spell this? And it's always, well, how do you think? Dad, you know, what should I do here? Or what do you think? Um, the other thing with parents in general is to be careful um, when a child's about to do something. Well, straight away, they can put the, oh, hang on, is this risky? But I'd, I'd prefer to say to Charlie, but what's the plan? And she'll say, what do you mean? I said, well, what's the plan? How are you going to get to the top of that? I'll do this and that. And okay, you sure? You got it figured out? And she'll, oh, hang on. I might do then. That's why I say I wanted to solve her own problems and uh, think for herself. Because as long as I, as a dad, work on her attitude and her, her um, approach more than the technical parts of it, the technical part can be done at college or university, the how-tos, I've just got to put in the curiosity and the enthusiasm and the resilience. Yeah. Well spoken, absolutely. And that's the school of life, isn't it? Where you don't get that in a book, you don't get that in school sometimes, uh, hardly ever. And it takes a really attentive parent, despite whether it's a, a, a mom or a dad, to really invest every moment whenever possible as a learning moment, as a learning opportunity. Because we don't know how many days or years we're going to have with our children. Um, so that that's inspirational. Thank you, Michael. Um, but it also, Rehan, it's it's fantastic to be part of it. She's like my own little um, petri dish experiment. Yeah, it's like it's. That's why I say it's like giving a monkey a, a Phillips head screwdriver and a hammer and seeing what's what's going to happen for me. And it, it's a great way of seeing where she is developmentally and things like that. You go, wow, like that was really that was a good move, Bob. I you know I had no idea where you were, and it lets you increase that uh, zone of the proximal learning, you go, well, that little circle that I had her in, she's way out of that now with what she's done. So now we can increase it. We can move the guardrails out a bit further, set the the stretch zone a little bit more because a lot of the times if we try and stretch them too far at once, they break yeah. and they become discouraged and they get a negative thing. But our children, if you find what they do well, what they're naturally um, inclined for, that can be the passion that sets them off for the rest of their life. So you can just keep putting the, the next stepping stone in front of her in that direction, in that direction. And all of a sudden you find, well, that step didn't go so far. So where do we go from here? And you can just veer off anywhere. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's motivation. It's like, it's like you're their trainer um, and cheerleader and champion for them to see themselves 
in a new light every single time. And it's like building their confidence, building their trust in themselves, building their trust in others, knowing to rely on others as well as independently on themselves. It's a slew of life skills that many people are not given an opportunity to train or learn until they go into school, um, sorry, until they go to uni or until they go to, to go into a job. Um, and and you, you brought up really um, several, several important points, but one I want to really focus on, the zone of proximal learning. Tell us a little bit more about that, because that is really important. Um, it's funny. I, I found a while ago, well, if Charlie can do this, then she should be able to do that, and she should be able to do this, and all of a sudden it's all this extra stuff, and it's going, wow. Once she's managed that zone, we can go out a little bit more and out a little bit more. And then all of a sudden you'll find uh, now she's trying to struggle. Now she's she's at a capacity. So we can hold it there for a while and uh, we can even scaffold a little bit where we can go, you know, I, I'm I'm the bridge that will get it to the next, next thing. So um, I used to be a swim teacher and a lot of the times I would have, have parents say, I want them to be able to do this. And I'd say, no, you've got to learn the basics. You've yeah. got to build that firm foundation. No, but just teach them how to do this. And it just, no, it's got to be able to do all of it along the way because every level is built on another level. It's built on, another, and if you skip a level, it's going to be a bit shaky. And the child's sense of self is being developed every day. And once they're confident in something, they see themselves as capable and competent. And if they're at something where they're struggling, they can see themselves as incapable or um, somehow deficient. And that's why I say a lot of the times I see parents and more so mums than uh, dads as a generalisation, trying to rush their children through those developmental milestones, whether to appear as a good parent or, or have a, a gifted child and you know it, it's not a race they'll get there when they get there it, it, yeah exactly spot on because i know with my son in school you know i see the competitiveness of other parents and i know in the states it's a huge thing you know they've planned out many parents have planned out especially on the east coast and the west coast they've planned out their kids you know future 20 30 years in advance despite what is within the interest or desire of their children. And I see that here too in the UK, since I've been living here, uh, more so in England where, you know, you're gonna go to this school and you're gonna do that and you're gonna do that. But does it take into consideration the zone of proximal learning? So it's not really, uh, and I'd love to get your feedback on this. So it's not really about just their developmental goals um, based on psychological, you know, uh, growth and developmental landmarks, but it's also about where your child is and where they're progressing or dipping backwards a little bit because they just need a little bit of firmer foundation, as you were saying. Is that how you perceive it? And if so, you know, it, what what advice do you have for parents to to do that more confidently? Um, it's funny sitting around with. Um, a group of mums, which I often find myself do, being the only only dad, I, I see the competitiveness and uh, the 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 judgmental um, things that 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 go along with it. And um, 
just with your child, the progression is very rarely linear. It's like their growth. It spurts and it goes and there's stuff that they that they just get and then there's stuff that they just get. That's where their natural aptitude goes, but there are so many other things that require that natural aptitude. But a lot of people are trying to get their kids to write properly before they've developed a, a proper pincer grip. And it's, you know, why can't you write this, see the pattern? And you look, well, foundationally, you haven't, he hasn't got this. So don't expect properly formed letters until that grip's right. And, um, you know, it's just, I think it's a rush to get them through that dependent stage into our adult world because then suddenly life will get easier for us as parents once they're in our adult world. But that childhood is just, it's the best time. You know, I, I love it. My my mum used to give me a hard time, you know, oh, Charlie's four years old, she should be sleeping in her own bed, she shouldn't be going into your bed every night. And I'd say to her, but why, mum? And she'd go, well, she's too old for that. And I've gone, yeah, but why is she too old for that? And she would often say, well, she's got to learn to sleep on her own. I've gone, yeah, but why? If you could explain to me why. And she would say, well, she needs to be independent. I've gone, she's four years old. I don't understand what an independent four-year-old needs to accomplish. And then um, it would usually get to, well, one day you won't be there. And I've gone, yeah, but I am at the moment. So what possible reason can I give to a four-year-old that she will understand no, you can't come into my bed. And as a saying, I'm single, so it wasn't impinging yeah. on the relationship. And, you know, it was, I was in my bed alone. She was in her room in her bed alone, and she wants to come in to cuddle. If it helps build that attachment, that rock solid, secure attachment that helps me guide her, that lets her know, you know what, it doesn't matter what happens, I've yeah. got dad. If I need him, that's what actually allows her to go away from me. I'm, like the longest anchor rope and she can go away securely and she's the most secure kid with no attachment issues whatever because she knows she's got home base doesn't matter what goes wrong what's troubling her I'm there and the thought that's what I used to say to my mum often the thought of her being 16 years old at a party and something bad happening and going it's the middle of the night I don't want to ring dad because I've drummed into her when she was young no you've got to stay in your own bed it's just defeats you know. the purpose and the and yeah. the and the connectivity absolutely yep yeah. so a lot of the a lot of the parenting advice um it's just and if you look at parenting books i've noticed i've had a good look at them they swing 180 degrees every few years they don't slowly come to a consensus they go from the self-soothing to the attachment to you know this and I suppose it's a way of keeping the industry alive. But, and it also assumes that the children are some, you know, same blob of flesh. They're all completely different. Yeah. And then when you see things about how to fix your child's shyness, why do we need to fix their shyness? If it's a shy child, that's who she is. So, um, you know, you've got to learn how to direct it and how to best harness it to make it an asset because you know, you've got to be accepting of it. Absolutely. And when we as parents accept that our child, for example, is a bit shy or has stage fright or, you know, 
is really inquisitive and doesn't stop talking because they want to engage and they want to speak and they want to be a part of the conversation, then we allow them to develop it, not dim it. Because it's not a reflection of us. It's a reflection of who they're becoming. Mm -hmm. They're not an extension of us technically. And I found that that has been one of the hardest conversations I've had with a lot of my clients, my male clients that are also dads. It's, well, she's part of me, like she's my extension, but she's not, or he's not. And do you have, do you have a way around, you know, um, approaching that in a different way for our audience? I normally say to people, when if you find your child constantly pushing your buttons and testing your limits, it's more to do with your buttons and your limits than than your child. Um, you're the only one that's developmentally equipped to be able to respond and react appropriately. And so there's nothing wrong with you know being able to say to your child, just I need you to stop for a minute. I need you to just give me a minute, I'll come over, just wait, think about what you want to do. Here's a pen and paper, write down the list of all the things we're going to do because once it gets to four o'clock, I'm yours, okay? So from four o'clock, but I just have to finish this and I need you to be patient. Do you think you could do it for me? And it's Boundary not that hard. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of the times that um, parents are, and I know we're all so busy and we're all doing our best. It's not the quantity of time, it's the quality that makes the difference. It's the little moments between the big moments. So rather than big grand gestures of I'm going to take you to the park for three hours on Sunday and I'm all the rest of it, it's the walking past the room and going in, sitting on the bed. What are you doing? It, it's you know, the hug as you walk past, it's the little jokes, it's the chasing each other around the, the kitchen as you go through, you know, with the whatever, with the dead chook that you're going to cook for dinner. And it's those those moments between the moments of, of the day-to-day stuff that create the connection. And what I usually say to dads, these are the things that pay compounding interest. It's yeah. a little bit I'm going to save away and they build up and they build up and they build up rather than going, right, I'm going to make a huge deposit with a weekend away or a you know, a day at the beach at one big deposit. Just keep finding little moments to deposit bit by bit by bit by bit. And you'll see your child, most of the time, their actions are trying to find a response and it's an unmet need. So if you find your child acting up, all the rest of it, they're trying to get your attention. You need to figure out why is there something they're struggling with and you've just got to be a detective and not take it personally and go right well there's something here that I need to attend to or figure out what could it possibly be yeah. you know a lot of times with Charlie we have this thing where she knows she's about to get a um, corrective um, thing where it'd just be you know hey Charlie bring it in we need yeah. a chat yeah and it'll be, what's going on okay the you know the noise or the you know, the, whatever's going on, we, we need it to be quiet for a minute. I'm on a call. Okay. So can we do that? Deal? Right. And, you know, it's just, you've always got to ask yourself what part have I played in it? Yeah. Too often mm-hmm. as parents, we judge our communication on its intent rather than its outcome. Mm-hmm. And if you keep 
explain to yourself, why do I have to tell you this 10 times? Well, it's the way that you're telling him. You're obviously not telling him in a way that it's going to be effective. So it's not your child isn't listening. It's you're not communicating properly. Profound. Yeah. And, and many of us fall into that whenever we're stressed or, you know, running against a deadline or, and, and it's just like you said, I need a minute and let's communicate it in a way that is honoring and respecting the child in front of us because they too deserve respect because what they see, they mirror back. And like you were saying, um, if we're being triggered, our children are our mirrors. They reflect what is needing to be healed or repaired or um, addressed within ourselves. And as we do the same for them. So it's a beautiful opportunity for growth for both of us. Mm. Absolutely. Any, um, anytime you, you push, you create resistance. Yeah. You know, force creates force, force back. So it's, um, you know, and I've, really fortunate and privileged to be in a position where I am, where I have time to do this, but I've also manufactured my life to be able to do it. Yeah, I don't schedule things where it's, you know, right, we're going to be this time, this time, this time, this time, this time, and everything's going to run smoothly because, you know, children don't respect a, a schedule. It, it, so you've got to allow time so you can see where the pinch points are going to be and go, well, you know what? It wasn't wasn't my child's fault that she held me up there. It was my fault for expecting her not to at her age. So she doesn't understand the importance of deadlines and all the rest of it. So uh, you know, I, I leave plenty of time between things and it's a um, privilege to be able to do it. But I've also set myself up so that I just don't try and overreach and cram stuff in because it's about being alive and being enjoyable, not being productive and efficient. Absolutely. And you bring up another point um, that wraps into being productive and efficient. So when we're trying to be productive and efficient, yet our children are bidding for our attention, for example, mom, mom, mommy, daddy, 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 you were talking about quality time. If we give them that quality few minutes of really entering their world and giving them that attention just for those few minutes, they're good for the next half hour, 45 minutes to an hour because you've filled their cup, their proverbial emotional cup. And it makes them feel like, oh, I'm good. I'm secure. I'm in, a, I'm in the right place. And dad or mom loves me. We're good. The world's wonderful. Now I could go out and do my independent thing. And it's beautiful when you see kids do that. And I know you've you talked about Charlie being able to do that as well. Um, are there any other suggestions that you have for parents to, to kind of not necessarily plan out their day, but just to really be mindful of when their children are bidding for their attention? Uh, I, sometimes um, I just, especially with domestic violence playing such a big part now, I, yeah. and I, that's, I'm a firm believer that a lot of the uh, bullying and things like that, it's its beginning at home. And it's really easy to slip from an authoritative style of parenting, which is great, clear rules, creed values, 
guidelines, all of the rest of it, into that authoritarian, do this now, do that, do this, get this done, don't do that or you're in trouble. And then I think that could well be where it gets modelled for either the acceptance of it from the victim's point of view in the beginning of the relationship that lets it escalate to where it becomes violent, where it starts off coercive. And it could also be the modelling of it for the perpetrator as well, because if that becomes their template for love, for, for a thing, and that's why I say to Charlie all the time, Bobby, if I, I speak to you in a way that upsets you, you need to pull me up then and there. You need to stand up. So we're very big and on our manners and respect and all the rest of it. But I've always been like that with people um, regardless. But so that, that would be my main thing, realise that, you know, you've got to watch what you how you treat and how you try and control your, your children. And if you find your children trying to do stuff to please you, then you've got to worry, am I holding it back too much where they're looking for a way to get my praise? If, if your affection and attention becomes conditional on some set of arbitrary things, and that's what I say to people, if your child's behaviour is not okay, you've got to let them know, but you've also got to let them know that the relationship is 100% okay. So yeah. what, what you did is unacceptable. What you did is we can't have, but I love you. So do you understand why? And you've got to make sure they understand why. Because if we model it as parents, if we're the example, if they can see our values and our standards, then they'll follow along. But if they see us abrupt with them, you know, they'll, they'll pretty much pick that up too. Yeah, they're sponges as to things, you know, that they see, witness and experience. And if there's that open line of communication that you have with your daughter, for example, and I try to build uh, continuously with my son, um, it gives them permission to feel like they can safely discuss with us anything that they've experienced. Um, and when that happens, they know that this is not a conditional environment. And that builds on the security that they have within themselves, that builds on their level of trust of them, within themselves and of other people, which is so essential when they're going into the world and building relationships with other people as well, among many other um, skill sets that they're gaining. One point that you brought up that was really powerful was you know, separating the child from the behavior. So the behavior is one thing. Like you said, I didn't like how you spoke to me, for example. Nevertheless, that doesn't change the fact that I love you unconditionally, you know, and that there isn't that one, if you do this, then that happens. As my son always says, we don't do that in this house, mommy. And he's absolutely true. You don't do one thing in order for love to happen. And, and when kids recognize that, they know that they can articulate their wants, not just their needs. And it's beautiful when you see them light up and say, oh, I know I want this now, <laughs> you know. Um, how has Charlie developed in that, in that way? Share with us um, if you have any anecdotes or stories that you're comfortable um, sharing. Um, it, she's the funniest 
funniest kid in the world. Um, she's got my dry uh, sense of humour. Um, you know, she, she'll, I'll make a mistake and she'll just look at me and she go, how'd that work out for you, Dad? <laughs> just, you know, <laughs> I guess, Charlie, here I am soaking wet because, you know, the handle fell off the bucket. And, you know, and so, you know, it's just the um, fatherhood's just been amazing for me. I've loved every minute of it, the, the hard stuff, the the tiring stuff, the, the good stuff. Um, it, it's just been I've learned as much about myself as what I have um, about my daughter. And because I came into it without the curse of knowledge and really or expectations, whereas a lot of a lot of mums have had a good think about what sort of mum they want to be and how they're going to mother and how they're going to um, be with their children. And they haven't counted on what sort of child they're going to have. Yeah. And so I think that's what causes a lot of the stress. And a lot of the um, studies that you see, fathers are a lot happier with children than mothers. And I would like to think that it's not simply because mothers are wearing the, the burden of the, the day-to-day stuff. I think it's because dads don't take it so seriously or feel the pressure of judgment. You know, if we've got a kid with you know, odd socks and a dirty shirt and all the rest of it, ah, you know, don't worry about it. But I've seen some mums that are just, you know, um, horrified at the thought of being judged that they're not a good mother, whereas dads take it a lot easier and yeah. we have a lot with it. You, you remind me of a conversation that we had about the difference between hard and difficult. So tell us a little bit more about your philosophy on the difference between hard and difficult, because I think it ties in beautifully to what you just said. Um, it, one thing that I always say to Charlie, but some things are hard and some things are difficult. The difficult stuff is because it's difficult to do. The hard stuff, it's all about your attitude. It's hard because you think it's hard. But a lot of the times, if you associate something good with the difficulty, so whether it's I, I want to run a, a mile in four minutes, well, that's hard and it's difficult, but we do the difficult because we associate something good with it. We've set a goal. And that's why I say to Charlie all the time, don't get the two confused. Hard is how you feel about what you've got to do, not whether it's difficult or not. And the difficult stuff is where the growth is. So, you know, and the other one we have in this house, but you know what they call the stuff that has to be done, the stuff that has to be done? And she, because it has to be done, Dad. And you know, she'll say, "You need a new one." I've gone, "Well, Bob, that has to be done. This can be done, but only after that is done. So we need to get this done first. And you know, she'll start off. We have a lot of whiteboards in in the house, so that you know, if something gets finished in the cupboard, it goes on the whiteboard. And we have planning whiteboards, and she's a real little planner. And you know, then it'll be, Bob, you know, did we? Was it down? And she said, Dad, I've scheduled it. I've got it written down here. We're going to do this, this. And that's why I say, let me know. And if we agree on it, then then we'll do it. And it's a matter of keeping the, the promises with her. And I, I protect that time fiercely with uh, with her because it's, it's, it's as important to her as what it is to me. But I gave her my word. Yeah. And that's your, your reputation with her. That's That's solid gold there. Yeah. yeah. 
Exactly. And that builds right into what you were saying earlier about um, moms and dads. Sometimes when they, when, when moms and dads, I, I've seen both, um, find that raising a child is hard. They take it on as a task, as a chore, as a responsibility, but it has a weight to it. But when you're talking about the dads, for example, and some of the moms that don't really care about the perception of it, but are really invested in the experience of parenting. It's that difficulty, absolutely, undeniably, but it's the fun that comes with it. It's the exploration. It's the, it's the intentionality of what you want to get out of it and what you want to invest uh, in your children um, so that they are learning as, as you're going along. Um, and, and that's what's really exciting to see when parents are tuned in and checked into that, the children oftentimes become equally as such. Um, and, and that is one of the many ways that we can try to eliminate negative mindsets and hopefully bullying and hopefully coercive control and a lot of the domestic abuse and domestic violence that happens in the homes when we shift our mindset. One other area that we can shift our mindset around that I would love for you to talk about is overcoming conflict. Now, I know you brushed upon this a bit and we've talked about it, you and I, but I would love to, our listeners um, and our, our audience to hear a little bit more about your philosophy around overcoming conflict, about um, how you were talking about um, when you speak to someone, what are you really looking for? That's, that's the, the bit that I was looking for. Um, what, what I always say to Charlie is too often when we speak, and especially now with this social media world, we're trying to find out where they're wrong and we're not listening to understand, we're listening to attack. So I, I said that, I've got that in the thing, we focus on it, and that's why I say to Charlie, but rather than listening to them and trying to figure out why they're wrong, what you've got to do is listen and try and figure out why they think they're right. So get to understand where they're coming from. So whether, whether it's religion, whether it's cultural, whether it's whatever, if you can understand where they're coming from, then you go, well, if I was that person raised their way and I had their subjective reality, I would think exactly as they do. So, gee, they're a great, reasonable, you know, fantastic person. They're not out to attack me on my ideas, but you've also got to realise... We don't always know what's right. We all have an opinion on what we think is right, and that's influenced by so many different things. It depends which side of the window you're actually looking in, in for it. So, you know, there's there's nothing wrong. That's why I said to Charlie, don't be scared of not agreeing with someone and say, you know what, that's a really, really interesting point, but I, I, I think something else, but it doesn't matter. The, um, the need to fit in, the the uh, peer pressure, trying to find like-minded groups. I would much rather speak to people who have a completely different perspective than me and learn something because, you know, that's why I'd say to Charlie, we had a discussion where she said, oh, Dad, it was on the internet, so it's true. And I said, oh, but no. No. I, <laughs> no, especially the internet. And she's gone, well, it's in a book as well. So I took her to our state library, which is the biggest one, and we walked through and I pulled out a book on uh, Freud and I showed her all the books on Freud and 
it was, I said, see this man, all these books? He was the smartest man in the world at one stage that everyone loved and thought was right. And I opened up this section. I had her on my lap and I've got some photos. It's just incredible. And I read to her a bit about penis envy. And she's just, really? And I was just, yep. And, you know, it's not right. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, and out of all those books with his name on, every one of those books in this section would have his name in it because everyone was sure he was right at that stage. So don't always believe you've got a question. You've got to ask even the stuff I tell you and most likely probably the stuff I tell you because I lead her astray all the time. And she said, that's not true. And I've gone, well, do you know it? I'm going to go check. <laughs> Good, go check. It's the love of research. It's the love of learning. It's the love of discovering yeah. and the sense of I'm responsible for my own truth. That is yeah. so powerful. Yeah. And don't rain on other people's parade. Their beliefs are their beliefs. You don't need to change their minds. And sometimes I see people arguing with people who just, I say to them, like, why would you bother with that discussion when you know, you know they're not uh, mature enough to accept another point, but you've also made them back themselves into a corner where they're that adamant about their position and their perspective that they've, got no chance of being able to um, change without looking bad to themselves or losing face. So you've got to, you know, you can go, well, you know, I actually thought it was something different, but, you know, I'll I'll listen to what you're saying and I'll, I'll take it on board and, you know, thanks for the, the chat. And it's agreeing to disagree. It's also giving people that outlet of saving face. I know it's such a strong Asian cultural nuance but I think we've adopted it in the western world where um when we do put it into practice it's giving people an outlet to say oh okay maybe I wasn't right especially if the conversation was open and um you know inviting instead of cornering and 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 challenging because what is to be gained from that except for someone to say I'm right and you're wrong and nobody gains from that except for our egos and pride um, and that's a whole nother conversation for another day. <laughs> um, so you also have a, a wonderful uh, viewpoint on nothing gets easier. Do you want to share that? Uh, that's my favorite thing of all times, I'd say to Charlie. But nothing ever gets easier. The weight doesn't get lighter. The dis You get stronger. The distance doesn't get shorter. You get quicker. The problems don't get easier, you get smarter. So every time you can do something that you couldn't do the other day, you've changed, you've gotten better. And that's why it's so important to do the stuff you can't do because the only way that you improve is by doing the hard stuff. So look for stuff that you can't do because unless you want to keep doing grade three for the rest of your life and being the smartest kid in grade three because you know it all, you've got to try and find the stuff. So failure is the thing, go, right, I tripped over there, I'm going to get past it. And once you pass it, you're better. And so I say, oh, it's no different to marking your height on the door frame. Look, you're a little bit better today, you're a little bit better today. And a lot of the times I'll say to my clients, you know, if you improve just 1% a day in 72 days, you're twice as good as what you were. Yeah. Um, you know, things. So you've got to constantly have that little growth and uh, she loves it. You know, she loves loves checking her weight, her height, how fast she can run, all of these things. And that's why I say, bub, you're growing up. Like you're getting better. It's not getting easier. 
Yeah, that's true. And, and how profound that could be for children in their mindset to know that they could really accomplish almost anything they put their mind to with just a little bit of think it, I, I think it happens with parenting too. People oh. say, oh, you know, it'll get easy when she gets older. Or have you just become a better parent? Yeah. You've, you've realised which battles to fight, what's important, you know, how to, how to get your how to react to your child in a way that creates a connection and therefore minimises the conflict, things don't get easier. You get better. And, you know, I think it happens with us as parents as well. I agree. I agree. And, and if not, then it's definitely an opportunity, an invitation uh, by us and for us to reparent ourselves. If there are areas that we really need to dip into and, 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 you know, work around so that our children could learn from us. Like you were saying, I'm not the perfect parent. You know, she missed out on the the earlier days, just like my son missed out on some of the earlier days on my end. Um, but it's an opportunity for them to see that mistakes are an opportunity for learning, that failures are just one step closer to success. And success is how you define it and not what other people define it as any parting thoughts or wisdoms or advice or even any jokes that you'd like to share? Oh, yeah. I always, no, the, I just say to dads, dads, you've just got to trust yourself. You are fully capable. The whole maternal instinct, it just doesn't exist. There's a thing called parental instinct for sure that need to, you know, connect and provide and, you know, a love that you uh, just couldn't do it. And a lot of the times as men, our bodies actually change, our hormones change. So there are a lot of feelings that just come out of, come out of absolute nowhere. I cry at a toilet paper ad now, or, you know, uh, Christmas carols make me cry. And and my daughter teased me. She said, oh, Dad, you're not crying again, are you? Oh, just stop being mean to me, Charlie. Like, um, I just say to Dad, it's the most wonderful ride. Your career and your earnings and all the rest of it can be caught up at a later date. They're only young once. Um, I was lucky having Charlie at a later age. The life I was living before she came along, that was done. That was done a long time. So I didn't have to straddle the two worlds now and try and be the young career-driven thing and an involved present father because a lot of dads are killing themselves trying to do both. Yeah. Don't beat yourself up. Set aside some quality time and it's not hard to do. You know, I get home, bang, the first hour with the kids, the next hour with the partner. And just say to the partner, I want to do this. I want to do it. And hold yourself accountable. Step up and, and do it. And if you think that being a good father is just being a good provider, well, one of the main things you provide is your time, your love, your example. And most often the love felt by a child, uh, by an adult, isn't necessarily experienced by a child. So you've got to say it, you've got to show it, you've got to be clear with it every minute of every day because the biggest thing you can do for your child isn't the house you provide or the income that you bring home it's the connection and the security that will get your child the good outcomes with life profound advice absolutely especially on that point that you were saying sometimes the love that we have for our children isn't felt by our children because we're not expressing it in a way that qualifies as quality time for them or connectivity for them. Wow. Thank you, Michael. 
Um, always a pleasure talking to you. And thank you for being our guest today. You're welcome, Rand. Really enjoyed it. So did we. Absolutely. And I can't wait to hear what our viewers are going to say about it in our Facebook group. Uh, join us for our next episode of the Genuine Men's Chat podcast and Zoom Live and show. Share, like, and follow the Genuine Men's Chat on YouTube, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. Join the Genuine Men's Chat Facebook group to join other men in the discussion about this amazing topic of father fatherhood. And our motto in 2020 is many men, many conversations. Have you taken your seat at the table yet? See you next time.